All right, let's go. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Acts. All right, four people wooing uh, the book of Acts. Very exciting. Uh, we, are in, we are still in Acts chapter 1. And here's what we've seen so far in Acts chapter 1. We have heard Jesus talk to uh, his disciples, and, we, and Luke has told us what he has said. So we understand that, what, that Jesus thinks this is important, and Luke believes it is important that we hear it. So Jesus has told his disciples this. First of all, you will have what you wait for. And he told his disciples, I have told you what you're waiting for. And he has said, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And you will be my witnesses. All of these things informed their expectations as they began that process of waiting and gathering in the upper room. They didn't enter the upper room with empty hearts or empty heads. They had informed expectations. Their faith was strengthened. Their faith was fortified by the words of Jesus, and so must ours. As we wait upon the Lord in our lives, we come to Him with informed expectations, with enlarged faith that our experience and our awareness and our expression of the Spirit will also be enlarged by the increase of our faith. And after he said this, we pick it up right at verse 9. So if you want to look with me at me with me at verse 9 in Acts chapter 1. And after he had said these things, these things were the things we just said. These things are those things. And after he said these things, he was lifted up while they were watching. Everybody say that out loud. While they were watching. And a cloud took him up out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently. This is not in my notes, so I'll stop now and say it. If you have a pen, if you have a marker, if you have a highlighter, if you're following along, we're going to be in the book of Acts for a minute or two. So you know, as when we do book studies, I love to tell you, hey, pay attention to things. Circle that. Pay attention to that. So watch that phrase. This is the first time we see it now. Gazing intently is the way it's worded here in chapter 1 and verse 10. But Luke loves to talk to us about a fixed gaze. We will see in the book of Acts something beautiful. I don't, it's, it's, it's better just practice than, than tried to be understood. But faith has a fixed gaze. When, it, when, when something is happening, when, there's, when the Spirit is about to do something, when there's something to pay attention to, the people involved, Luke will tell us that they, that they, that they, they fixed their gaze. They looked intently. I, and I like that. There's something about paying attention to what God's doing and looking for it. Faith looks for God to do something. All right, well, that's just good news. That's just extra bonus stuff. So as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, then behold, two men uh, in white clothing stood beside them. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? And that's how they said it. Total exasperation. (laughs) This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Yeah. 
Jesus will come again. All right. When we look at 9 through 11, you're almost sometimes tempted just to read that as some sort of a segue comment between uh, the, the narrative movements in the text. But this is a, a, verses 9 through 11 are, are fundamental. They're essential to our faith. What did this, what did this mean? Well, uh, Luke tells us after he had said these things. So there's an intentional connection between what Jesus said about the promise of power and being witnesses and then them beholding his ascension and giving an assurance and being given assurance of his return. It says that a cloud took him out of their sight. Someone say their sight. They watched this happen. This is important. I know. It's easy just to go. <laughs> they watched this happen. Come on, say it out loud. They watched this happen. This, this, they, this, they didn't, no one just, no one told them about it. They were watching this happen and there was a group of them. There was at least the apostles, probably a larger group. There could have been hundreds of them actually present watching this happen. The ascension of Jesus Christ is just as fundamental to our faith as the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, nobody watched the resurrection happen because they didn't need to. They went to a tomb and then nobody was in there. And they saw him afterwards. But this isn't, oh, this is not a story about a man who was raised from the dead and then and lived for a while and then retired in the south of France and then, you know, died in his basement. It is important that we understand that the story that our faith in Jesus Christ is about a, a, a Christ who, was di- who died, who was buried, who rose from the dead and ascended. And they watched this happen. He didn't, he didn't you know, disappear. He didn't vanish. It wasn't a myth. He didn't, they look, didn't look around and say, whoa, where, like Batman, wow, where did, where did Jesus go? And when it says the cloud took him out of their sight, I realize that most of the time we imagine that. And uh, since Bob and Reve are here, I'll say, of course, I remember them hoisting uh, Vern up on a lift into a fog machine out of the baptistry at church. <laughs> Pretty awesome. Uh, but it, when it says a cloud took him out of their sight, it doesn't mean that, he, that they were looking at him like we do at a helium balloon, you know, and it, or a kite. And it, as it drifts off and goes behind the clouds. That's not the, the idea is less Jesus floating away and more Jesus uh, uh, being carried or being, tra- being uh, removed from their sight by a cloud of God's glory. We, what we need to see there is as they were watching Jesus, he passed beyond the boundary of vision. But he did not cease. Jesus didn't disappear. He didn't cease. Jesus is Je- Jesus did not cease Jesus is. Yes. And that's why they said this same Jesus, not Jesus 2.0, not a clone. Not a redo, but this Jesus will come again. And so they're standing there staring into the sky and two men came and they say and the King James says, "Ye men of, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye staring?" Likely, in the in Lucan language, people, the unnamed persons dressed in white, or he's referring to angels, probably. But you, 
Luke doesn't seem to be too concerned about them or making a big deal about them, and nor do the, nor does the, nor do the disciples. They're still consumed with where Jesus is. And, but what's interesting is the, 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 the closeness between the, the tomb, the empty tomb, and this, this account, how fundamental these are. Remember when, the, when they go to the empty tomb and they look inside and, there's, and the angels, what do the angels essentially say to everybody who looks in the tomb? Why are you looking in here? Why are you looking in here? I mean, I can't blame them. You, I would say, well, because it's an empty tomb, that's why. This is really amazing. And the angels are like, no, this isn't amazing. You ain't seen nothing yet. Why do you look for the living among the dead? Why are you looking for Jesus where he ain't? You won't find him by standing and staring. You're looking in the wrong place. He's already on the move, and so should you. The second half of verse 11 really captures the essence. This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. This Jesus will come in the same way. He will come visibly. He will come visibly. He will come personally. He will come powerfully. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus himself has already told us what to expect, how he will return. Luke 17, 24, Jesus says, For just like lightning, when it flashes out of one part of the sky, shines to the other part of the sky, so will the Son of Man be in his day. You are not going to miss it. I mean, you might miss it, but you'll see it. 21, 27 of Luke Jesus says, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. This same Jesus will come again. It's that statement. That's it. Essentially, they stop staring. They stop standing and staring, and they get to it with that that statement, this Jesus will come again. Now, if I can use a couple of ology words, this is why it is imperative. This is why it's so essential that we understand that our ecclesiology, our understanding of of who the church is and what the church is about, that our ecclesiology, our pneumatology, our understanding of the person and work of the Spirit, all of it is, is framed under and moved by our eschatology, our hope in Christ's return. We are an eschatological people. We are a people stamped with eternity. We are a people with a, that have been tagged, sealed by the Spirit for Christ's return. It is this promise right here in Acts that so often might be, that, 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 is, that, that just, you know, we rave by it. But it's this promise, this same Jesus will return. And that, that's, that's the last straw, if you will. That's the final statement that launches them. It launches them into prayer and to dependence. It launches everything they do next. Why are they tarrying in the upper room? Why are they waiting upon the Holy Spirit? Why are they doing everything? It is this statement statement that that Jesus is coming that launches the rest of the story. This is the story of the church. Jesus is coming. This is her purpose. This is her mission. This is her joy. 
This is her patience. This is her sacrifice, her holiness, her strength, her endurance, her commitment. Because this Jesus will come again. This is their boldness. This is their boldness in the face of of men's, either their applause or their accusation. Their embrace or their attack. They know Jesus is coming and they do not want him to be ashamed of them. Luke 9, 26. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words... The Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. This is their boldness. This is their, their diligence to duty, to, to, the, to the discharge of their responsibilities. They want to make sure that Jesus will find them doing their master's business. Luke chapter 12, verses 35 through 48, there's a a parable that Jesus teaches about that, but listen to this summary in verses 42 and 43. And the Lord replied, a faithful, sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. This Jesus will come again. If the master returns and finds a servant doing well, there'll be a reward. They're captured. They're motivated. Well, this was their motivation so that they will be ready for Jesus' reward. This is the parable of the, of the ten talents or the parable of the pounds in Luke, uh, Luke chapter 19, beginning at verse 11, after Jesus ministers at, Zac- at Zacchaeus' house and they think, oh, everything's going to go down right now. Jesus tells them another parable where he says there's a story of a, a man of noble birth who leaves and goes to a foreign kingdom to receive for himself his crown and then he comes back. But while he's gone, Jesus said, he gives his resources to his servants. And he empowers his servants to occupy, to do business, to be faithful with his resources while he's gone, but he's coming back. And when he comes back in the parable, the first thing he does is gather his servants together to see what they've done with what they've been given. To see what they have done with what they have been given. And that is where we hear for those that are faithful with what they have been given and and Jesus finds them, these are the words that await them. Well done, you good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with little. You will be trusted with much. Jesus will come again. In the book of Acts, the promise of the Spirit is the down payment. The promise of the Spirit is the first installment of our great anticipation. 
The promise of the Spirit is the compelling and accompanying power. The power of the Spirit is the how. There is no other how. The power of the Spirit is the how. It is the how by which they lived for the why. And the why is this. Jesus will come again. It's true for them. What about for us? For us, it is the same. Pentecost is the how by which we live for the why. And the why, our why is this. Jesus will come again. This is our why. And our why makes all the difference. People who live for the short term are short-sighted. They are easily distracted. They are easily tempted. They exchange treasure for trash. They consume but do not invest. They seek the shiny instead of the valuable. In the long run, short-term living makes us, it makes us weak and shallow. Short-term people lack real influence and have no purpose. But the church is born for the long term. The church is born for the long term. The church is born for the long term. I could pause and talk to individuals in the room and commend you for staying in your race. When short-termers have exchanged treasure for trash, when short-termers have exchanged the valuable for the shiny, We've already acknowledged Grandma Amy. There are many of you in the room. You know, you know, I know your names. And you know, some of you know that I've been watching you since there was a teen after the, my age. And you're still in the race. Because you know. Jesus will come again. We are people who trust in the promise of salvation. The church must be characterized by her perseverance, by her patience, by her reverence, by her strength, and perhaps most of all, by her hope. We have a great why. A great sense of purpose. Jesus will come again. Everybody say it out loud one more time. Jesus will come again. This is our perseverance. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25, the writer of Hebrews says, let's hold firmly to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let's consider how to encourage one another 
Let's give thought and planning and intentionality on how to gossip. Well, no. People have, have schooled themselves on being critics. But the Bible says, let's consider, let's give thought and intention on how to encourage one another in love and good deeds, not abandoning our own meetings together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day dawning near. So let's just do a quick bit of math. Hebrews written plus or minus 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, the writer of Hebrews says he's coming. And the closer he gets, the more you need to be really concentrating on encouraging each other. So every day that it's closer to Jesus, you should be more encouraging. We should be very, very, very encouraging by now. Because he is coming, we hold firmly to the confession of our faith without wavering, without wandering, without moods. Without holding back, we never let off the gas. Because he who promised is faithful, and he promised to return. Therefore, we encourage one another, we cling to one another as the church, and we even go to church. We make sure that others and one another are persevering, and we are encouraged to remain faithful because Jesus will come again. This is also our reverent ambition. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verses 9 and 10. Listen to what Paul says. We, therefore, we also having, pardon me, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or at our absent, he means in the body or not, okay, to be pleasing to him. Our ambition, our ambition is to be pleasing to him. For why? Verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Yeah so that each one may receive compensation for his deeds done through the body in accordance with what he has done, whether good or bad. Romans chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, God will repay each person according to his deeds. To those who seek by perseverance in doing good, who seek glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But to those who are self-serving and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, he'll give them wrath and indignation. And finally, let us kind of see law right here. Hebrews 10, 31. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. When you stand before Jesus, bring your excuses. Bring your arguments. Bring your hubris. Bring them with you. Bring your objections. I will bring my faith. I will bring my gratitude. We will have to give an account of our lives to Jesus. Therefore, we seek to live pleasing to him because this Jesus will return. And this is our comfort. (laughs) 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. For our present troubles are small. That one didn't make it onto a refrigerator magnet. <laughs> Don't see that one in the Christian bookstore a lot. For our present troubles are small. Maybe just say, you know what? Maybe you should say that a couple times. For our present troubles, he doesn't say there aren't any. He just said, they're small. 
and won't last very long. See, we're not short. We're not short-term people. We're not short-term people. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles that we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze. We fix our gaze. Faith has a fixed gaze. Faith looks somewhere on purpose. We fix our gaze on things that can't be seen. For the things that, are, that we see now, they'll be gone. But the things that we cannot see will last forever. Our present trials are temporary, but what he has promised us is forever. And Jesus will come again. This is our motivation. Listen to this motivation. This is what moves us. In the moments, Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. So, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Be invincible. Short-termers are weak. Long-termers are strong and immovable and always work enthusiastically for the Lord. Since you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Revelation 22, 12. (laughs) Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every person according to what they've done. We do everything with all we have unto the Lord because nothing we do for the Lord is in vain and it is all for His reward. This Jesus will come again. And this is our hope. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly right you should read the bible like this and to live sensibly righteously and in a godly manner in the present age because you are not short-termers you are long-termers verse 13 looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. Note the influence of hope. There's there's almost nothing more powerful. Note the influence that hope has on us. Hope makes us bold. Hope makes us free. Look, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly and righteously in a godly manner. People who are captured, who live by this promise of hope, 
People who are possessed by hope are not caught up in the trappings of temptation. We are not so easily distracted or discouraged. We do not give up and we do not give in because we are people who are possessed by hope. The king is coming. The king is coming. Praise God. He's coming for me. Jesus will come.
Jesus shall come again. All I can say to you is that, are you a Christian? If you're not, you should be. You can be today. Repent of your sin. Trust in Jesus Christ. And get ready. You need to be baptized in water the first Sunday of next month, first weekend of next month. But the Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord cause His face to shine upon you. Live for the return of Jesus Christ. And go enjoy some uh, refreshments in the cafe. We got a great reception for you. Say hi to somebody. Remind somebody that Jesus is coming.